Hello, everybody. Welcome to Optional Opinion here on the Anomalous Radio Network. I'm your host, Eddie V. Thank you guys for joining me. I have a super, 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 super special guest with me. Uh, he's actually new to this podcast, but you probably heard him around here. He is one of the hosts and founders of World One One Podcast. Everybody, please welcome Mr. Larry Giver. Hey, Larry. Eddie told you I'm a guest. What he doesn't know is I'm actually hijacking this shit and running this bitch. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Well, that is kind of true because I tell a Get lot of. <laughs> it's so funny. It's a uh, my friend when I'm driving, <laughs> driving with them. <laughs> we sometimes get in an argument. He's just like, you know what? I'm gonna hit you in the. I'm gonna pull you, uh, pull this car over, hit you in the head, and throw you in the back. And when you wake up, you're gonna see me driving your car. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> oh wow. So, but yeah, uh, welcome, Larry. How are you doing? I'm exhausted. Uh, well, Larry, but I'm here for you because I love you in th- dirty ways we can't talk about on the air. Uh, thank you very much. Um, so, Larry, can you give us some of your gaming background and tell us a little bit about World One One Podcast? My gaming background, unlike many of all the rest of you, I'm sure, goes back to my childhood. Um, my childhood consisted of a few things. It consisted of playing with Legos, reading books, and playing video games because I was pretty much the only kid in my neighborhood growing up, so I needed to do things that I could do by myself and entertain myself. Um, that being said, uh, my history starts back on the NES. Uh, however, um, I came into it when the Super Nintendo was at the height of its power, and I, I dearly, dearly wanted one, but for Christmas one year, I ended up with an NES, to which um, that childhood perceived slight uh, I am forever grateful for as a, uh, an adult video game consumer because it gave me far more context and background to build upon and to be able to appreciate the evolution of the industry Um than those, you know, coming up in games now where they look at, you know, their first system is an Xbox 360 or, a, you know, PS3 or a PS4 or an Xbox One. And, you know, they look at things like PlayStation 2 and go, wow, that's so retro. And you just want to smack them in the back of the head and go, fool, we'll talk about retro. I'm going to whip your ass in some motherfucking pong. <laughs> or take them to the arcade and play some Japanese game that you never heard of. Yeah, pretty much. So that's that's where I lie. Um, as far as particulars, um, I, I tend to gear towards somewhere between mainstream and full blown quirky, out of left field shit. Um, Eddie knows, and anybody that listens to my show knows that I have a deep, profound love for the Metroid series. No, we're not going to talk about Fed 4. Shut the hell up. Other M wasn't as bad as everyone said. Shut up. Um, but, you know, I, I like the the solid, deep, single-player experience. But in most cases, for me, that experience has to have a unique hook to it. Um, you know, I'm not one for just the run-of-the-mill, you know, first-person shooter 
if I'm going to play a shooter, it needs to have something that really grabs my attention that nobody else has done. Uh, Bioshock presented, uh, as an example, presented a unique um, story setting that hadn't really been touched on before or run into the ground as of that point, and it piqued my interest, and I played it and loved it. You know, it, it did a few other quirky things that some shooters hadn't really touched on before um, versus Call of Duty, which puts out the same schlock every year and I could care two craps less about, uh, with the minor exception of Infinite Warfare, actually piqued my interest for the first time ever uh, just because it there were things in Infinite Warfare that vaguely reminded me of Dead Space in a way that I liked. So... It's it's a little bit about me, my taste. Um, I generally lean more towards console and handheld versus PC, but I do dabble in a little bit of PC as the need requires for certain things that I cannot get on a console. Um, so yeah, that that kind of gives you a me in a nutshell. If you want more, uh, come listen to come listen to my show. Uh, Eddie's on it. He graciously records it for us every week. Um, but and and a little bit about our show. Um, we are a a small at the moment uh, weekly gaming podcast. Um, we we publish new episodes every Monday um, for for the listening enjoyment of what I'm pretty sure is a whopping three people on a week-to-week basis. Um, but we do it anyways because we we love what we do and we, we do want to provide something of reasonable value and use to our listeners. Um, that being said, World 1-1 is something that is uh, going to be growing in terms of scope over the coming year. Um, it's, it's already starting to... Um, the show itself is growing in terms of scope as well. The last few weeks we've had on uh, a couple different developers um, talking about their games. Uh, so it's not just, you know, a one-sided uh, consumer-only viewpoint, but an opportunity to get inside the heads of some of the people that are making the games that we're playing um, and, you know, provide a, a view that not many do. Um <clears throat> You know, we, we don't necessarily want to talk to the PR people that just want to, you know, advertise for their game. We want to talk to the people making it and get something meaningful out of the conversation. It's it's a difference in quality. And while we may be uh, handicapping ourselves as a result, I, I feel it's important in terms of integrity to to draw that distinction in that line in the sand. Um, if I, I don't care so much that we may cripple ourselves, I have my integrity, uh, to stand on and that's sufficient for me. So, um, but that being said, uh, yeah, you can find us every Monday on, uh, fuck it. I'll plug it at the end of the show. I'm sure you do that. <laughs> um, but shout engine.com. Yeah. yeah shout We're on iTunes. A few other things are in the works, too. So, But, you know, we're on iTunes. That's the big one. Uh, we've got our Facebook page, which is where some of the other new stuff is going to be coming uh, over the year. I'm actually in the middle of writing some original content for the uh, for the page, just in written word form as well. 
Um, but yeah, things are coming. We're growing, uh, and we're growing with the hope of being able to provide a service to the gaming community in a way that has not been done before. Well, I have Larry on this episode because today we're going to be talking about Xbox Live Arcade. And Larry here, uh, he knows a lot about it. I didn't apparently have an Xbox 360, um, but I know about the service. Larry's more experienced with this, so I brought him along on this episode to help me discuss it. Um, so I'm going to go over a little bit history of Xbox Live or XBLA, as it was known back in the day. Um, it was announced on May 12, 2004, at Microsoft E3 conference by Bill Gates, and it was released on December 3, 2004, uh, for the original Xbox. Um, you could only order the games on Microsoft's website, and the games will physically come through the mail. And I remember we were talking about, uh, I think, Hasek, uh HD, um, Larry? Hexic, yes. Yeah. So that was one of the games, but I think, was it 360 or was it, uh, I think it's 360, right? Hexic was, uh, 360, yes. Okay. And, um, wasn't that one on, I think one of them was on a, on a hard drive for 360. I think it was, uh. That was Hexic. It was Hexic. Okay. Hexic, uh, came pre-installed on a bunch of the launch 360s, and uh, this this is why this topic came up on World 1-1 the other day. Um, Microsoft, for whatever stupid reason, never actually sold or made Hexic HD available by itself. Um, the only way that you could actually get it is if you had purchased a 360 at launch, um, and it came pre-installed on your system. And then when you put your uh, your Xbox uh, or your Microsoft account to it, then it would bind to that, uh, keeping it in your purchase history forever. But for those of us like me who didn't buy a 360 at launch and got it later on down the line, I liked Hexic HD. They By the time I picked up my 360, Hexic 2 was out, but frankly, I didn't like it. I didn't like the aesthetic. I didn't care for the mechanics. I wanted Hexic HD. So, um, it may be a little assholeish of me, but as I discussed uh, on World 1-1, I blatantly lied to Microsoft and I made them give me a copy, <laughs> um, which I would feel bad about if it wasn't for the fact that they wouldn't let me buy it. If you, I, I would have happily handed them my money and paid for it if they gave me the option, and they didn't. So, I called up their customer support when I bought my 360 and I bitched at them and said that I had had one before, and for some reason on my new one, it wasn't showing up in my my download history. And they're like, we don't see it here. I'm like, that's your fucking mistake, not mine. And I want you to fix it, and I want my game. So I made him put it in my purchase history so I could go re-download it. But, yeah, was it a dick thing to do? Sure, but you know what? Uh, I stand by my integrity on the fact that if they had made it available for sale, I would have paid money for it, but they weren't willing to do that, and I wanted the game. So, their loss. <laughs> well, integrity. <laughs> integrity. Uh, well, on November 22nd, 2005, it relaunched for the Xbox 360, and on July 12th, 2006, Xbox Live Arcade uh, 
started working coming out on Wednesdays. That's when the program kind of started for, uh, like every Wednesday you would get a game, um, or kind of like, um, like a top hit game, like something to look for, uh, every Wednesday. Uh, on July 30th, 2008, Summer of Arcade was released with six games. And, uh, this is going to be like the first part that we're going to do. So, uh, Geometry Wars, uh, Retro Evolved 2, Braid, Bionic Commando, Rearm, Galaga Legions, and Castle Crashers. So, Larry, um, I know me and you talk about Castle Crashers a lot. Um, and Bionic Commando Rearm was a really big title. But out of, I think out of everything that kind of really started off XBLA, I think it's Geometry Wars. Geometry Wars and Hexic were were the big proponents, and Hexic not so much, but Geometry Wars is the one that really grabbed attention. And Geometry Wars started life actually not as an XBLA title, but a, a little bonus game on uh, Project Gotham Racing. Um, and it, it was popular enough that when XBLA came about, Bizarre Creations looked at it and said, you know what, we have a, there, there's now a format or a platform where we could put this out by itself and sell it for just a couple dollars and it doesn't really cost us much of anything to do so. And they they did, and it was a big, booming success. Um, it's It definitely exploded the platform um, and it, it set the precedent for Small original titles at, you know, small prices, like five bucks for Geometry Wars. Yes. Most people paid five bucks for it and went, cool, I'll play this. You know, in a lot of cases, I'll play this for a couple of weeks, be entertained and put it down and not feel bad about the fact that I spent five bucks on it versus, you know, if they had tried to release it in retail, even at like a, a, a $20, $30 price point for something that would, that, if it was just Geometry Wars Retro Evolved, not not Geometry Wars 2, that's different, by the way. I'm going to make that distinction here. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, people would have balked at that and not bought into it, and it wouldn't have been the success that it was. Um, so it it provided a an avenue for, for smaller indie games to make their way to market to uh, an audience that really had not had that kind of thing uh, exposed to them before. Um, and I speak of the console market because that kind of thing you know, was happening on PC where the the means to put something out on PC uh, was not nearly as difficult and arduous as it was to get it out onto a console. And so for console people like myself that didn't do much of anything PC-wise, um, this was our first opportunity, really, uh, in any mainstream format to experience these smaller little uh, concentrated concept games um, for a, a low price. And it, it did very, very well in that regard. Um, it also suffered from some of the same things that uh, the PC market did, which was when you remove the barrier to uh, to get from 
concept to finished product on the market that you will end up seeing the market flooded with hot garbage. Um, yes, we're talking about you, stupid Yaris game, and fucking Doritos Dash, but uh, there there are some gems in there, and you had to wade through a bunch of crap to find them, but when you found them, they were totally worth it. Um, in addition, I had a thought three seconds ago, it'll come back to me, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. Uh, yeah, there it is. In addition, um, it it was it was new for us, and it it brought in a whole new a whole new audience, and it did big big things in that regard. Uh, but getting to the summer of arcade, a there there was a sudden shift in in standard. Uh, in what was standard expectation for XBLA. Mm-hmm. Um, up until Summer of Arcade, the most you would spend on something was five, maybe ten bucks. Maybe. Um, oh, I know the other thought that I was going with. The other thing that helped us you know, navigate that, uh, that ocean of bullcrap was the fact that pretty much everything coming out on XBLA had a free demo. Yes. Which, oh my God, why in God's green earth has that gone away? Look at look at the 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 live store on Xbox One now, and you will see tons and tons of stuff for sale. Almost none of them with demos. Almost none of them. You seriously want me to make a fifteen to $60 or more for these ridiculous digital deluxe editions, you know, sight on scene? No. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. But it, Demos, it could come back. It, but it feels like the, uh, speaking about, you know, like the trial era of games, like that, because even like demo discs has kind of even moved away. Um, like people don't even well, do demo discs are gone. Right. Let's be honest. Well, yeah, but because everybody thought that since you could, since, uh, like XBLA, because you could try most of the games before you buy it, they believed that, well, I could just play the demo version online. I don't need a, I need a disc. But just like, uh, demos now, like the game is already out. So why even bring the demo, like maybe two months down the line for them to try it out? And then with some companies, like, they might as well just put the beta out for you to test to see if you like it. They could get some information about that and put it in, you know, fix what they got before they learned and then moved on. So now it's just, it beca- it, now definitely in this time, they were just like, it's better just to show them, tease them about the game to get them hype and hopefully they buy off that hype. Yeah, I'm not one to buy off hype. I'm one to buy off something that's tangible to me, but we're we're getting off topic here. This no, might no. be something that we explore deeper on World One One. Oh no, this uh, is this is optional opinion. If you want to go there, we could go there anytime. My guests always have free reign in whatever they want to discuss on a topic. Oh no, this 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 is good, Ag, and I, I not to be a dick, but I, I do think that I am totally going to save this for for World One One, where I can actually dedicate a whole show to this this 
thing and what it's done to the industry. Uh, that or maybe it just becomes an article that I write, but fuck it, whatever. Um, but no, no, back to SBA. Um, like I said, we, we went through a long period of time, at least a year or two, if memory serves, where, you know, everything coming out was five, maybe ten bucks. Mm-hmm. And then the very first summer of arcade happened. And everyone lost their fucking mind. And it, it was because of two games in particular. Uh, the two big blockbusters, uh, and all of you should know where I'm about to go with this, was Braid and Castle Crashers. Yes. These were games that, you know, had been in the works for quite a while. Uh, they got released uh, as part of the Summer of Arcade uh, promotional program, and uh, they came out to everybody's excitement, and then everybody saw the price tag and lost their fucking shit. These games were the first ones to come out on Xbox Live Arcade at 15 bucks, a.k.a. Uh, 1,200 Microsoft points, um, yes. or, you know, Microsoft Moon Bucks. Um, which that was, uh, another thing too, that I'm very, very glad that Microsoft got away from. Um, it was one of those things that I know why they did it for anybody that doesn't have any background in marketing. Um, it was done for a very specific purpose. What they were doing was $20 got you 1600 Microsoft points. And it wasn't a straight conversion like with uh, the Wii at the time. Twenty bucks got you two thousand Wii points to spend on the on the eShop. Yes. Uh, Microsoft did this specifically so that the concept of money and the amount that you were spending was a little more nebulous, and uh, so it didn't. They they didn't want it to feel like you were spending money. They didn't want you to understand how much money you were actually spending. Granted, uh, with about three seconds of time and a second-grade education, you could break it down easily enough and go, okay, if something is 400 Microsoft points, it's going to cost me $5. It's 800 Microsoft points. That equates to 10 bucks, so on, so on down the line. But um, it's, it's a very it's a clever and devious marketing thing that they held on to for a long, long time. Uh, and they did finally get away from that um, in the in the late years of the Xbox 360. Uh, and I think it was because they finally caved to the fact that they were the only ones doing it. And uh, I, I think they finally realized that nobody really liked that. Not to mention, um, if something was an oddball price, you could only buy points in specific increments of like five, 10 and 20 bucks. Um, you know, if you wanted something like a gamer pick or a, a theme for your 360 that was like $2, then you had to spend five bucks to put that $2 on. And then you were left with, you know, uh, an oddball $3 amount just lingering around. And so when they got rid of that, they finally let you just pay exact amount, um, for games and other odds and ends on the, on the sh- on the store, so yeah, because at that time, uh, uh, like virtual console, we were, and when Sony started doing indie games, Sony started putting it just at the price itself. So if they was if they was charging that nine ninety nine, um, I think depending on what state you was in, you weren't paying the tax, because like, 
because definitely for me, if I bought a play, still if I buy a PlayStation game, I don't have to pay the tax. I just pay whatever that they're selling it for. Um, right, and and Microsoft and uh, Nintendo both with uh, with their points systems, um, you you are paying tax on the points, not on the games. Yeah. So that's if you bought it. I think if you bought it digitally, because if you bought the cards in the store, you weren't getting charged tax. They were seeing those that's as gift cards. No, they were taxed. I didn't. I didn't get taxed for none of mine. Some of that might depend on where you were buying it too. Um, so anywhere on classification uh, that whatever store you were in mm-hmm. uh, put it under. Some stores, you know, may have been putting it under a, a gift card classification. Others were, you know, putting it in as a classification as a, uh, a an actual product, not just yeah, currency. because yeah, because uh, anywhere that I went to. Uh, if I picked it up and I bought the and I bought the points, they didn't charge me no tax because they put it under as a gift card. Right. Uh, speaking from experience, I worked at Game Crazy way back when, and uh, I, I can tell you that it was taxed. But I also got my discount on it at the time mm-hmm. because it wasn't a gift card. They looked at it as a product because you were going to use it to you know buy a product in a store where tax wasn't going to be collected, so tax was being collected on the purchase of the currency to get into that store. Was they charging tax so, on uh, XBLA, like on the system, during the digital ones, or not? not when it was not when they were going by points. They weren't. Okay. They didn't have to do it. Um, when they switched to actual dollar value, tax was being assessed on the purchase itself of the, the game or the product. Um but going back to the, the topic at hand here, uh, $15 games for Xbox Live Arcade, uh, Summer of Arcade, um, people lost their minds. Yes. And, and the thing is, is there, there was a, a shift in the paradigm here that is not necessarily all bad, but it wasn't all good either. Um, it, it was a mixed bag in terms of the precedent that it set. Um, these, these games that came out were bigger experiences than what was on XBLA previously. These were like some of the biggest endeavors, uh, and certainly some of the most high quality, highest quality ones, uh, that were on the, on the platform at the time. And, you know, in, not even in hindsight, but even at the time, I could see this is a game worth 15 bucks. These are games that are worth that money. It's not wrong to charge that, but a lot of people, uh, you know, feeling very entitled, uh, had the misconception that Xbox Live Arcade was only ever going to be five and ten dollar games. And I look at those people and I go, uh, "That's your fucking fault because uh, nobody ever made that promise. You made that assumption, so screw you." Because if it had only ever been five and ten dollar games, then what what ended up zoom tight? What ended up coming as a result of that change was in the long run better for the platform. <coughs> Excuse me, because we ended up getting bigger and better experiences um, that nobody would have ever put out if Xbox Live Arcade had only ever been allowed to be sold for 
five to ten dollars, you know, um, and then, stuff like. And then the discussion become uh, length ver- uh, versus the dollar amount, because weren't people like they thought that these was what these games was going to be short. I know Castle Crashers is a long game, so that deserved the fifteen dollars and the put in the artwork and production that they went into that game that deserves the fifteen dollars. Yeah, and length length was definitely something too because prior, pretty much everything on XBLA was a, a small short experience. Yeah, and games like Castle Crashers and Braid showed that it didn't have to be just that. Um, but uh, again, people were were feeling very entitled and uppity about you know a promise that was never made to them, but they seemed to think was, and just didn't want to get over that hang up. Now, years down the road, um, it's it's a long-forgotten thing, but this is a thing that happened. This was a big deal at the time, and uh, people were losing their mind over this shit. So, but had that not have happened, other stuff that's come out since, um, big stuff, great stuff, like uh, Firewatch, super hot. Um what else have I bought off of? Oh, I can't even think of it right now. The Witness. Oh, my God. The Witness. A $40 digital-only console game. Can you imagine what would have happened if that had come out, you know, in that same summer of arcade mm-hmm. block as Castle Crashers and, and Braid? You know, here's two games that are now five bucks more than five to ten dollars more than people are used to paying but they're getting more for it and then here's this forty dollar game that's fucking enormous and puts everything else in that platform to shame you know expectations need to be adjusted there there is a certain sense of entitlement uh in terms of consumerism which don't get me wrong i'm a big big consumer advocate anybody that listens to my show will know this i'm also a advocate for not necessarily the publisher but for the developer and unfortunately in order for things to get to the developer you have to go through the publisher in most cases which sucks and one day we'll see a world without them because the world does not need them but that's an argument and discussion for a different day um in any case you know this is we we watched the world explode for like three weeks as people screamed about this. But yeah, there there was a sense of entitlement that, you know, we deserve all the games and you should only ever be paid $5 for your tremendous efforts, no matter how much or how little effort you put into it, which is fucking stupid. Unbelievably selfish and stupid, you know. Turn the table around, and if, you know, somebody told you that about your work that you put five years of your life into, but you were only allowed to charge people five bucks for that, you'd probably be, (coughs) apparently I'm going to die now, you'd probably be pretty pissed. So, you know, thankfully that that argument and that debate went away and, you know, just quietly into the night. It's kind of almost like microtransactions. How people were going were upset that uh, when Oblivion had the horse armor thing and they were charging, I think what two or five dollars or whatever, and people it was were like two bucks. 
Yeah, people will. And you know what? In that case, microtransactions are stupid, and I do not defend that. That, that was fucking dumb. But now it's it literally has become a staple, and people are people are buying it. Like if you look at the mobile space, microtransactions is what makes that game money. You know. It is, but in the mobile space, there's a profound difference. Mm-hmm. Um, the The difference is that in the majority of the case in the mobile space, you didn't pay anything at the outset for that game. Not a fucking dime. Yeah. And nobody's making you pay that to get the full, you know, to get the full experience. Nobody's, you know, put a gun to your head and said, you must buy this if you want this game to work. The, the expectation is different. You know, when when I spend $60 on a game, and then if I want to actually get all the content for the game, I then have to spend another 20 bucks worth of microtransaction bullshit? No, that's fucking garbage, and it's unacceptable. I already handed you $60 as my my price of entry here to get in, and for that 60 bucks, you were supposed to give me the whole fucking game. And you didn't. And now you want to nickel and dime me for the rest of it. And I think that's, that's unacceptable. And I think that's where the fear that a lot of people have when, uh, like with Braid and Castle Crashers, they thinking that, fit, that, like you said, $15 was too much. But it's just like, you got to see what how much development time went into this, the cost of the production and stuff. And if you want to go by length of these games, these games are longer than your average uh, they're longer than what you could do in Geometry Wars. Geometry Wars, you just had to really stay alive and shoot everything and get points, like an old school arcade game. Um, but with, with it's, it's not just length or production value; it's the quality of the product, the quality of the finished product that you receive yeah. in its entirety. You know, no one of those things by themselves can be used to justify a price. Uh, a 12-hour game for 15 bucks might not be worth 15 bucks if it's 12 hours of crap. Right. Like you know, tons of production value is great, but if you don't have an interesting story to tell me, I don't care if it looks great. I'm I, not interested. And I think most of the people who complained didn't know who these the developers are. Like me, you, we both know John DeBlow made Bray, uh, even though that was like his first game. But we know that, oh, when we hear Behemoth, because of Alien Hominid and how great that game is, $15 is $15 we're willing to pay for Castle Crashers because it's such a good game. And we know that they make great games because of Alien Hominid. So, yeah. um, and then like, like if you look at, uh, um, a bionic commando rearm, um, nobody played, well, not many people played the NES game who bought the 360. Um, but I say that's entirely true. I mean, I'm, but a lot of people were just surprised on how good that was because you wouldn't expect the game from Capcom to, to get it to the indie space because of them being a, major triple a uh developer you first really thought that xbla was for indie games and indie companies so you didn't you wouldn't think that someone like capcom would get into that space and make it because i I even thought uh when geometry wars came out i thought uh that came from indie developer 
Yeah, no, that that was from a big studio. That was just a uh, a small little fun project they had in the wings. So, um, small side note, actually. Uh, I mentioned that I did not buy my 360 at launch, which is entirely true, and here's how I'll prove it. I actually bought my 360 just to be able to play Castle Crashers. That's why I bought a 360. I dropped $200 on an arcade unit so I could play a $15 game. It impressed me that much. Yeah. So I think PlayStation got it like a year after. And that was kind of the thing with XBLA is that it would drop off. It would drop first for uh, the uh, Xbox 360 players before it came to anybody else. Because I don't even think some of those games came to PC when they uh, released on XB on uh, 360. I mean, a lot of that stuff stayed on 360 only, where some of it still is. A lot of it still is, actually. Um, I've got a ton of, and I mean a ton of games. I have spent more money than I care to think about on Xbox Live Arcade games. Um, and I've got a ton of games on my 360 from XBLA that are stuck there because they are not yet backwards compatible with my Xbox One. Mm-hmm. Um one of my personal favorites that didn't review super well, but I enjoyed uh, all the same was Insanely Twisted Shadow Planet. Um, it's it's a Metroidvania after a fashion with an adorable little UFO, a very stark and simple uh, art style that I I quite adored. But um, you know, fifteen dollar XBLA game, I really liked it. Um, I've revisited it several times, but. I want it on my Xbox One. My Xbox 360 sits up in my bedroom, uh, for the most part, as a Netflix box. Um, but, you know, my Xbox One is down in my theater here, um, where I've got my big screen TV and my big comfy couches and, you know, all that. And I would love to revisit um, Insanely Twisted Shadow Planet, amongst a number of others, without having to traipse my 360 and all the cords and everything down and unhook shit and rehook shit up and then when we're done I'm gonna have to unhook it and then rehook it back up in the bedroom so that we can watch Netflix in bed. Um but that that's part of why I was not super anxious to jump on board with an Xbox One uh when they first came out was because there was no backwards compatibility. I'm like uh I'm not I'm sure shit not trading in my three sixty right. to get an Xbox One when I've got all these games that I'd be giving up and getting nothing for. Right. Well, um, we're going to move on to uh, July 22nd, 2009, Summer of Arcade. Um, this came with uh, Explosion Man, Marvel vs. Capcom 2, TMNT, Turtles and Tyree Shell, Trials HD, and Shadow Complex. Now, this was another big one with TMNT uh, 1. Because uh, I think they <laughs> I think it's like when you bought all those games, like all six games, you got like, I think, 800 points back. So it was kind of like you bought money back. But they were just like, TMNT was not a, shouldn't have been a $15 game. Because then they like dropped it like to 10 or they ended up changing the price before it got released. I don't remember, but I do tell you, I remember that uh, Reshelled was not good. Oh, no. Uh, that, that game had problems. And it's a shame because, you know, that was summer of arcade uh, for a couple of years is when all the big arcade stuff happened. 
Microsoft would wait uh, and and make some of their their bigger, more anticipated titles forcibly wait to release until it was time for Summer of Arcade again, and uh, because that that was the big boom right then and there. And uh, TMNT uh, Turtles in Time Reshelled was one of those games, and then it came out, and then it was awful. Yeah, because it was the arcade version, and. Um, I know Topher Kettler, he was talking about Retronauts with uh, Chad Kassem on his crew. And he was just like, yeah, we got the game and we beat it within 30 minutes. Well, when all you did is reskin the arcade game, an arcade game is, you know, not Xbox Live Arcade, but arcade is in stand up and put your damn quarters in arcade. Yes. You know, those games are not long. They were never designed to be long. It wasn't the right format. They were designed to be obnoxiously difficult to force you to keep pumping in quarters. And when the quarters thing was no longer an issue because you had infinite quarters because you paid a you know a ten dollar price of entry uh, to own it and have infinite continues, it's no longer terribly difficult because nothing is on the line. Well, I, I definitely wonder what happened for them not to re re not do take the. Uh, the Super Nintendo version still make it four players, and just we do all those levels. Like, like if they said it felt like half of the game was missing because of the Super Nintendo version. Uh, that I can't speak to. I I don't know the history on that nearly as well as I do some of the others. But like like I said, that's one of those that was a big a big miss for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the rest of uh, that summer of arcade was surrounded with fucking awesome. Well, Shadow Complex. Let's get into that one. That that got very controversial uh, because of the author who wrote the book. Is, is the book is called Shadow Complex, right? Or uh, so the book is not called Shadow Complex. Um, I, I've actually got the book somewhere, if I remember correctly. I think it was like Empire or something like that. Uh-huh. Um, but this is actually an author that I am particularly familiar with. Uh, I grew up reading a lot of his stuff as a kid. Um, this was uh, Orson Scott Card, who, uh, if if you know your sci-fi at all, um, he was the person that wrote Ender's Game, which, uh, after 20 years in development and production hell, uh, finally got a movie release, which I'm not saying don't watch the movie, but read the book first, then watch the movie because the movie makes a great visual supplement, but it cannot possibly take the place of the book. It cut too much stuff out. But that's a discussion for something else. Um, in any case, uh, yeah, Orson Scott Card uh, penned the script for Shadow Complex, and there, there was a considerable amount of controversy around this because Card is... Uh, Card is not the most LGBT-friendly person, and in the gaming sphere, um, most of us are very forward on those issues, um, whereas he is not. However, um, I will say, as someone that's read lots of his stuff and enjoyed it thoroughly, um, he keeps a lot of his opinion on, pretty much all of his opinion on that, out of his writing. His writing is devoid of any of that. Um, 
which I really think it's funny that, you know, this turned into a big issue because he was attached to this project. But uh, years prior, uh, Advent Rising was another one that he actually penned the uh, the script for, mm-hmm. and nobody gave two shits. So, but that being said, Shadow Complex was a great game. It's still a great game. Um, I, I think the, the controversy surrounding it is all dead and gone because uh, it was just recently uh, released a... Uh, an HD remaster of the game. And, uh, as far as I know, the remaster is done reasonably well and I've played it and it's worth picking up. It's pretty. Yeah. It's a good game. It really does help things along, uh, having that kind of polished up a little bit again. So I, well, I think it was like one of the first indie games that some people felt that because of his statements that, it wasn't that they should you should save your money because they thought that part of well of course part of that money was going to go to him and people thought that if you bought it and you that means that you were supporting his opinion um and and to me personally i don't i don't see it that way i mean yes you can protest and not buy the game but you could do that kind of pretty much for any video game um and it don't have to be for that reason it could be for many things uh, but I'm just like, you got to realize that some of this money has to also go to, to go to the developers. Um, because was it, it was Epic Games that made it right. Cause they used the Unreal Engine for it. Epic published it specifically. Uh, it was made by a developer called Chair, which I, if I'm not mistaken, is a branch of Epic Games somewhere okay. in their studio. But, and the other thing too, is that, uh, Shadow Complex, uh, was unique in the fact that, it was really one of the first uh, Xbox Live Arcade games that got major uh, major time at a Microsoft E3 press conference as well. Um, I distinctly remember uh, them coming out and saying, you know, almost verbatim, we've waited years and years for Nintendo to give us a new 2D side-scrolling console Metroid game, and they haven't. So, so we said, fuck it, we'll do it. And here's Shadow Complex. And it was just that. You know, it was a beautiful uh, 2D side-scroll Metroidvania with a couple touches of 3D. It, it felt like a competent evolution of the uh, genre. Um, but, you know, like, like I said, Shadow Complex was definitely the most controversial of the lot uh, that summer. But that's not to say that it was the only game of worth and of merit uh, to come out of that summer of arcade. Um, in particular, the other two were uh, Trials H uh, Trials or Trials HD, whatever the hell it's called now, yeah. uh, which is a strange little game designed to infuriate uh, any perfectionist out there. Um, and then my a personal favorite out of that uh, summer as well for me was Splosion Man. I loved, loved, and still do love Splosion Man. Um, I, I honestly think that Splosion Man came at a time when Sega had forgotten how to make a decent Sonic game, and uh, Twisted Pixel stepped up and did just that. Um, this was, if I remember correctly, uh, coming off the back of 
their previous venture into the XBLA space with The Maw. And uh, Explosion Man, to me, really scratched that itch of a phenomenal Sonic game where it was all about go fast and, you know, twitch button button pressing just to maintain the momentum to give you that sense of satisfaction. Um, and it also had the gleeful little quirk of all of your buttons did one thing and one thing only. They made you blow the fuck up, and it was hilarious. You know, you were jumping and wall bouncing and doing everything by making your character explode repeatedly over and over and over again. Well, that's and the, then, the title of the game. <laughs> yeah. And just for the sake of humor, when you blew, you know, when you would blow somebody up, uh, a bad guy, they wouldn't just go kaboom. They would turn into cuts of meat. Like, here's steak and roast beef and bacon and ham. Why? Because it's fucking funny. Yeah. To me, out of this one, uh, definitely Marvel vs. Capcom 2. That, that game is still huge for a lot of players like i mean it was big in the arcade and when it actually came to 360 and also psn and having that online shoot dude watching people bounce it was crazy because now people were fighting other folks in japan it was like uh it was like watching the daydream versus a nightmare <laughs> dude, oh yeah america yeah. And MVT2 on Live Arcade was uh, another huge one. It wasn't a big one for me personally, just mm-hmm. because I'm not a fighting game fan. But, you know, it doesn't mean that I don't recognize the enormity of that title coming out on XBLA. Because it, it was big for two reasons. And you touched on one of them, that being that it had online multiplayer. The other, though, is that it it suddenly was now readily available and easily accessible whereas prior if you wanted to get your hands on a copy of this game you were going to shell out buku bucks for a physical copy oh yeah uh, after you spent how much time hunting one down that was in decent enough condition that you felt okay paying money for it in the first place because wasn't it only on wasn't it only on dreamcast dreamcast playstation 2 Okay, I remember seeing the Dreamcast version. I didn't. I never seen the uh, PlayStation Two version. Actually, it may it may have been on the original Xbox as well, okay. but I could be hallucinating that one. But yeah, that it was it was the uh, the PS Two and Xbox generation, um, along with Dreamcast. But yeah, this was the first time that this game was now suddenly readily accessible to everyone. You can't have a game in short supply when it's digital only yeah. because all you're doing is copy and pasting. Pretty much. Just copy and paste more into existence. And everyone was perfectly happy with that. So. Yeah. So, well, before I get to the last part of the Summer of Arcade, um, I kind of want to talk about uh, Fez real quick. Um, oh, we'll talk about Fez. I love me some Fez, let me tell you. Fez was a game that just came out of nowhere. Um, and we'll touch a little bit on Minecraft, just a little bit, but Fez came out of nowhere. And just, it became one of the most, I think, hyped games that everybody kept looking for. Um, even though it had its own drama stuff, everybody was impressed with that game. 
And so when it finally got released on Xbox Live Arcade, um, it made some money. Uh, you know, it was a big hit, but I think the N one had a bug. I think the Empire had a still had a bug and he never got to fix it. Feel fish. No, he did go in and fix it, but it took some time and he let's before we get to that, let's let's start at the beginning here. Mm-hmm. Because the journey of Fez uh goes back a number of years before its release, as any game should. But um, this one was particularly unique in that this was one of the first times where the the hype train was so long and the online community was now getting to the point of being obnoxious where this game was so long in the works that the hype eventually started turning to vitriol. And uh, Fish, for anyone that watched uh, Indie Game the movie, and if you haven't, go watch it. Um, movie. Fish, Fish kind of got a raw deal in this. Um, and I know it's cool to say I hate Phil Fish. Fuck that dude. He's a dick. But frankly, I sympathize for the guy. I do. Um, I, I think he he got the he got a raw deal from the gaming community, um, being a bunch of assholes. So this game uh, was shown years and years before it ever came out as a small concept, and it got a lot of recognition and attention. And then everyone got super excited for it, thinking that if we're showing it and we're seeing this, then it must you know it must already almost be done. We should have this anytime now. And it was you know like five years down the road before it finally came out. And uh, in that time. So many people got so pissed off about it, you know, taking so long that they started sending all kinds of hate mail and whatnot to uh, Phil. And uh, the the guy didn't take it terribly well. At first, it, it kind of, you know, got brushed off. But it got to a point where even the, the thickest skinned person would have snapped on somebody. And he, he did. He started getting shitty with people. Uh, or getting shitty back with people because they were all acting like assholes. And uh, like I said, I, I sympathize for the guy. I, I get it, and it sucks, and it's bullshit. Um, you know, the gaming community can be particularly dickish at times when it wants to, and uh, uh, in a lot of cases when it's not really deserved or merited. Um uh, this this dickishness really seemed to come out of a sense of entitlement yet again. Shock. You you can detect a running theme here. But, um, and in the time that Fez was in development, other games, uh, for example, Super Paper Mario had come out that had mm-hmm. played a rotating uh, 3D mechanic as well. Um, Paper Mario did it differently than what Fez did as a finished product, I'll grant you. But, you know, it was still an idea that was, you know, uh, from time shown to finished product happened within the span of the development cycle of Fez. And so when it came out, there there was some backlash. Um, and or not even backlash so much as just, you know what, I've already played other games with this mechanic now. While I was waiting for you to finish your shit, 
So I'm no longer interested. And it, it did lose out on some stuff in that regard uh, and, in terms of sales. And it's weird because, you know, Phil Fish became a one-man person doing mm-hmm. this game. And if you compare it to something like Axiom Verge, where uh, Tom Hap did everything, didn't nobody complain because the, because he didn't give no release date. Um, I don't even think he did a demo out of it. Like he just continued just to work on a on a product, and when it was done, it was tested and it got approved and stuff. It got released, and it, you know it's a, really a critical acclaimed game. Like people recommend that if you whatever system that you, if you own a Wii U or you own a PS4, this is a or game. Yeah, um, and you know he and uh, Phil Fish he did not really um, have anyone else to help. Now, if you watch uh, uh, Andy the uh, movie, um, you will see the behind the scenes of what happened uh, with him to the release of the game. So, I, and I don't want to give give anything away, but you'll get more of an understanding. And definitely for me. Viewing the drama, uh, like reading reports on Destructoid that Phil Fish got it in to got it in with somebody, or like the tweets and the arguments and stuff, and to the point that he quit and stuff. That stuff was somewhat entertaining to me, but I still respected the game because it was it should have been more about the game, and if the game was good, that's what people should have been more, more focused on. Uh, agreed, but uh, again, we as uh, gamers, uh, as a community, are not necessarily always the most mature bunch of people, which is really a shame, but uh, an argument or discussion for the article that I'm writing currently. Um, you, you'll have to forgive me, it's starting to get a little late on my side. Um, moving forward... Uh, not moving forward. I want to touch on a couple last things with Fez. Uh-huh. First and foremost, Fez is an enormous, immense game. It is phenomenal. It is brilliant. I loved every bit of it. Um, the only part that I really had a major bitch about was uh, one of the very final puzzles. Didn't really make any logical sense, and it took the entire online community brute forcing for an answer for... I want to say it was about a week or so until somebody finally cracked it by pure dumb luck. Um, but and then you know, other than that though, everything else there there's an answer. You it may not be the most obvious, it may be extremely obscure, but the answer is there, and I loved that. Um, it, it definitely was that was in love with games. Um, and it was not afraid to show that and wear it on its sleeve quite proudly. Um, that being said, the other thing you mentioned was the uh, the game-breaking glitch. There there was a glitch that affected some people where uh, your save file ended up corrupted and you had to start all the fucking way over again. Um, the There was a fix or a patch that came out to fix it, and it fixed it for most people. Uh, that were affected by this. Not all. There was a very, very, very tiny percentage of people uh, left after the patch that were still running into this issue now. But um, Phil had said that basically 
uh, he wasn't going to go back and do another patch because the process to do so going through Microsoft was just god-awful, and he wasn't going to do it again. Yeah, the... Because the, um... the number of people that were still being affected by it was so small, just couldn't justify the time and the money to go through to patch the game again for that last sliver of people. Yeah, the the, certi- the certifying process with Microsoft was horrendous. A lot of developers complained about it. Um, and then they had to pay for that, too? Like, for patches and stuff? Uh-huh. If you wanted to release a patch to fix a game-breaking bug in your game, you had to pay money. Microsoft literally stood between the consumer and the person that could fix a broken game. Yeah, because you, you really could not release a game on uh, on Xbox Live uh, without getting your game certified. Yeah, it, it was a very long and difficult process. And I know Microsoft lost uh, a number of developers along the way uh, after some of their games came out. They, they could be found in interviews looking at it going, you know what, we're glad it's done. I'm happy it's there. But I will never work with them again. Oh yeah, they they lost because they lost so many indie developers. Um, they had to change their policy because I think they didn't change their policy almost to the end of the 360 lifespan because uh, right. people were going to Nintendo and uh, Sony and um, and Steam. Yep. So, um, well, uh, moving on just to two more things. Uh, on July 21st, 2010, uh, Summer of Arcade, and this was kind of the last one of them, uh, came with Limbo, Hydro Dunder Hurricane, Castlevania, Harmony of Despair, Monday Night Combat, and Lover Croft and the Guardian of Light. I know Limbo was super big. It was the uh, beginning of Play Dead. Uh, Limbo was definitely the biggest game out of the bunch. Yes. Uh Certainly the most highly anticipated and hyped because here was this quirky, monochrome, grayscale game, very muted in aesthetic, very muted in sound even, uh, and was all the more horrific for it, even in its uh, muted childlikeness. Um, It was kind of like living not a full-blown nightmare, but a bad dream. Um there you, you played as this little child and there was no dialogue no text no nothing just all conveyed through the movements and the motions of everything happening in the game um to tell you a very loose story but a story nonetheless and you know here's this little child but you see him die in the most horrific graphic gory ways like being impaled and having his legs cut off and shit and it was just it was fantastic though well, just you couldn't it, stop playing more and more of it yeah i have it on uh my i think it's on wii u um no oh it's not i, thought I did no. it no Oh, I thought it did, but I didn't. I might have it on my PlayStation 3. I know I have it on one of my systems. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and also, at this time, uh, during the summer of arcade, they had to raise the cap of it 
the limit because uh, uh, Double Dragon, Neon, and I think Castlevania, they needed more. And so Microsoft went from like 150 to 320, and then they ended up doing two terabytes. So, um, but yeah. Um, by March 10th, 2006, there was a 3 million downloads. By January 27, 2007, it grew to 20. March 6th had 25. And by the end of 2007, they had 45 million downloads of games. That doesn't surprise me at all. It's it's a very big platform. And the nice thing is that everybody that owns your console, you you automatically have a potential customer because you can put your product right in front of their face. Uh, so uh, that was just a little bit of um, XBLA. Um, Minecraft was such a huge uh, deal with the PC market that when it came to Xbox uh, Live, um, it, 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 that was like the first huge console game that just continued to sell and sell. Um, even to now today, it continues to sell. Um, but, uh, Larry, any last thoughts about XBLA? Um, my only last thought at this point is I, I am both excited and sad at the current state of XBLA on the Xbox One. Um, I'm sad, and like I said, at the fact that uh, things that were expected staples like uh, demos have gone away. Um, I find myself nowadays much more hesitant to purchase something on uh, Live Arcade on the Microsoft Store on my Xbox One than I was back in the 360 days because I would download a demo and play it for 5-10 minutes and go, it's really fun. I want to play more of this. I mean, I want to play much more of this, but I want to play more of it to the point where I can justify 10 bucks. Um, but that's, that having gone away, that makes me very sad. Uh, the flip side of the coin, though, is that we finally reached a point where, um, people understand that just because it's a digital only or a live arcade only game or a PSN only game, that, that does not mean that it cannot be of exceptionally high quality. Uh, and I'm talking about full scale game experiences like The Witness and like Firewatch. Uh, you know, where these games came out at, at you know, 30, 40 bucks. And uh, in a digital-only, you know, arcade uh, XBLA format, um, but now nobody balks at it. Uh, and to see that progression happen makes me very, very happy. I can only wish that it had happened many years sooner. Yes. So, everybody, that's just our uh, little discussion about XBLA and, you know, the, the impact of it with this, with some great indie titles was that, you know, it 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 spawned off WiiWare for Nintendo, and well, not much virtual console, but WiiWare for Nintendo and PlayStation Network to do indie games for PS3 and stuff. And so the indie space have kind of become like I said, like the new third party, and now they have p- different platforms to be almost as big and recognizable as AAA and first party. So um, thank you, Larry. Um, you want to plug anything? Where can we find you? Yes. Uh, um, as mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, I can be found uh, every Monday uh, on World 1-1 Podcast. We're out there on Facebook, like our Facebook page, where else iTunes. Uh, show is hosted on shoutengine.com, a fantastic little site. Um, 
But check out the Facebook page. You'll find links to all the stuff. We're also out on the Twitters uh, at World One underscore One um, Podcast. And uh, yeah, we exist. We're a thing. We're trying to grow. Uh, we want to be able to do more for uh, for the people that you know like us, and uh, we want to be able to grow the audience some too. Uh, it's it's kind of a thing that needs to happen in tandem as we. There needs to be more audience, but I, I suspect that it will come. Um, that being said, uh, this past weekend, uh, or this week's episode, um, absolutely worth a listen. We had the fine folks from Presto Studios on. Uh, graciously donated some uh, some sweet stuff to give away. Uh, listen to last week, this week's episode to find out how you can win that. Um, next week, we've got uh, coming up the fine folks from Fandom Furniture. Uh, uh, anybody that knows me or is familiar with our page has seen the beautiful uh, Metroid Prime 3 corruption chairs that were done for me by the guys uh, by the fine folks at Fandom on the uh, show this coming weekend so some too as well as we've got tons of other cool shit that we're working on uh, lining up uh, over there and Uber Excited found out uh, about a week and a half ago that uh, World 1-1 podcast will uh, happily be providing you uh, live coverage from the show E3 in LA this year. Hey. So lots of big stuff. I'm going to be a busy, busy boy. <laughs> Trust me. Uh, uh, you, you are my lifeline. All that week, I want you to understand that. Uh, dude, like literally, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of literally taking vacation that whole week of E3, because. Uh, Microsoft conference is Sunday and uh, just everything else that's going to be happening. Like actually Microsoft and Bethesda is Sunday and I'm just like, Oh dang it. So of course, uh, you know, world one, one is probably going to be doing podcasts. Definitely. We're going to be doing a lot that week. Uh, Optional opinion is definitely going to be, I'm I'm probably going to be like seeing everybody's thing and just doing multiple shows with other people. So um, it's going to be a very busy week and I think I need a vacation for it. But yes, our very own Larry Giver will be on the floor um, playing the games, hitting us up with news and stuff, coming back to the hotel and podcasting. We get episodes out. So we're going to be busy. Uh, that day but thank you larry uh for coming on uh my podcast optional opinion it's so good to have you doesn't it feel like a world one one episode in a way but maybe just a little just a little but uh i I appreciate you having me uh it's been a pleasure i need to go get some sleep and deal with the sick child um i also need to do some writing and i don't know what order that all is going to happen in so you'll be sleep Oh, you'll have your child to be asleep. The writing will happen tomorrow. Don't worry. Uh, I want it done before I go to work tomorrow. Anyways, uh, yeah. And you guys can follow me on Twitter at that Bridger Code. You can check out more of Optional Opinion at the Anomalous Radio Network.popping.com iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and other podcast apps. You can email this show, myopt2 at yahoo.com. Um, and you can check out my Twitch page uh, at the Lyrical One, where I do a series called Let's Learn and things like that. So thank you again, Larry, once again. Thank you, everybody, for um, 
just you know reminiscent with us they're talking about xbox live arcade if you still have an xbox 360 so i think believe some of those games are still available i know some of them got taken off but you know i kind of want to hear what you guys think about xbla and your memories of it so like i said you can email the show at my op to comment at yahoo.com once again thank you larry and we will see you guys next time and we are out Peace. Good night.